0: So what i like to do is I go verse by verse, so you can follow along, um, Mark 9, 33 to 50. They came to Caprinium. Oh, I knew I would do that. Uh, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Um, but they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. We are privileged. To be in a private teaching discussion with Jesus and his disciples. His public ministry is almost over. He has been with the disciples three years teaching. He is getting ready to hand the keys to the church over to them. In verse 33, they are walking on the road single file with the teacher in front. This was the custom for the teacher, rabbi, to walk in front. Mark is known for not being very descriptive in his text, but he does tell us many little details. For example, they went in the house. Some suggest it might be Peter's house. In some of the other gospels, Peter's house is mentioned as a meeting place. They were on the road, they were arguing among themselves as to who was the greatest. Interesting, as a side note, the disciples argued at least three times about who was the greatest. Um, you know, the example was that I thought my kids, I'll be in one room and they would be in another when they were little and they're arguing and then I walk in the room and there's silence. It's like, you know, I can hear you. <laughs> Uh, Jesus knew who they were arguing about, but he used this as a teaching moment. Just before they were arguing, Jesus had been telling them the Son of Man would be delivered unto the hands of men, and they would kill him. The disciples just did not get it. They are being told the Messiah who will have him, have him and they are arguing about who is the greatest. You want to be critical. Of them, but how often do we act the same way? When they get to the house, Jesus sits down. This implies that he, the rabbi, is ready to teach. Then Jesus says, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. This is the opposite how we think in life. The guest of honor gets them first in the best seat. The person who cleans up after dinner does not get to eat with the guests. But Jesus says that anyone who wants to be first must be the last and the servant of all. This is contrary to our human nature. Who makes a decision to be last? In this country, we get irritated if we have to wait in line. David, I love to watch Seinfeld, and one of my favorite episodes is called The Opposite Day. And uh, George, who can never get the woman, always loses his job, and in his mid-thirties still lives at home. Well, he decides he's going to do everything opposite. And uh, at the end of the show, he's got the beautiful woman, he's got the job at the Yankees, and he's moving to the apartment. The way up is down. In Luke 22, 24 to 27, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The King of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? He is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. He wants humility from us, but we want pride, recognition, and to be honored. I want to tell a story. About my father. My father, I thought, was one of the most humble gentlemen I knew. Um, He's also very smart. He would have four books going at once always, and um, he could fix anything. Uh, And he was like a GPS. He never got lost, he never needed a roadmap. He was also a scientist. He worked for GE, he worked in the space division. And um, I can remember. A couple times at dinner, him saying that um, promotions were given and he was passed over again. And, you know, he wasn't angry. It was more like he was sad, but he was like, my first is my family. Uh, that when the space division was closed down during the Carter years, he lost his job. And there was years without him working, and he did everything he could. In fact, he retired hours for a while. Never taking him much, but He went back to school in the late 50s and eventually got a job, but it was just, again and again, he would lose his job. Uh, then he just took early retirement. In his 70s, he got dementia. It went got really bad. I came him saying, Glenn, I don't know anything but I know Jesus loves me. Uh, he went into the hospital for a simple procedure and he was to come home the next day. He was eating dinner and he looked at the nurse and said, I feel so good. And with that, he died. But it was like Jesus said, Come on Um, We found out years later that he invented a thing called the dry stain slide, and it was one of the biggest money makers and the biggest patent that GE had that went all over the world. He never knew, never got recognition, and of course, he never got money. In verse 36 and 37, he took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Children in biblical historical times were considered lower than a servant. They had no value. Even in some cultures, they were sacrificed. A servant could serve the master, could work, but children had nothing to give. They needed to be provided for and fed. Again, Jesus does the opposite. He takes a child and says, you welcome the child, you welcome me. This is a beautiful picture of the tenderness of Jesus to take a child in his arm to make this point to his disciples. Jesus always gives his love back to the Father. If you love me, you love the Father. In John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I, too, will love them and show myself to them. In everything Jesus does, he gives glory back to the Father. In Philippians 2, 5, and 8, we see that our mindset should be in the relationship with one another to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather he made himself nothing but taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross whoever is not against us is for us teacher, says John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and he and we told him to stop because he was not one of us do not stop, and Jesus says, and no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us, truly, I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name, because you have known the Messiah, will certainly not lose his reward. John interrupts Jesus like a little child. I just have this vision of this math teacher in school teaching, and then someone just yelling out, look, there's something outside, just interrupting. Um, John is the youngest disciple. At this point, they say he's anywhere between 15 or 18 years old. This is another example of pride of the disciples. First they're arguing about who is the greatest, and now they want to see themselves as an exclusive group. They don't want the others to get credit for healing in Jesus' name. Just them. They have exclusive access to Jesus and his power. Jesus came for all of us. Who do we see Jesus mixing with? Uh, Doesn't it include the sick and all these low class fishermen all of a sudden they the And this isn't a story that I'm proud of, but um, it was considered a bit popular sorority. And in my junior year, I lived in a sorority house, and there was a woman there that everybody was pretty mean to, but I was the meanest to her. I was so mean to her that some of the other sisters said, why are you so mean to Debbie? Leave her alone. And you know what, in my heart, of hearts, she's not one of us. She doesn't belong. Who was I to say that. And if I could find Debbie, I would ask her forgiveness. In verse 39, Jesus gently rebukes John. The paraphrase of Philippians one eighteen. No work done in Christ will go unrewarded, whoever does it. In 40 and 41, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, will certainly not lose the reward. Two more stories. <laughs> uh, this one is about, uh, the first one's about Christie by Catherine Marshall. It's one of my favorite books, I've brought it up time and again. But um, in this story, uh, Christie by Catherine Marshall, she's writing about her mother at 19 who goes to teach school in the Appalachian Mountains in the turn of the century. And I think she kind of goes in, seeing herself as some heroine who's going to go teach these backwards children. But when she gets there, she sees the filth and the poverty and the sadness and the feuding, and she just wants to, to go home. Well, mm-hmm. be so she got to read the book. Comes to her and said, Jesus doesn't want us living in an ivory tower. He wants to gently... Pull our hands away and want you to find your special bundle. So Chrissy prays about it and as she's teaching her children. she notices one girl, uh, Mountie. Mountie um, is dirty. Her hair is never combed. She has no um, reaction. There's nothing in her. She's just like She doesn't talk much. And she looks for opportunities to do something. For Mountie. She even thinks he should be on, be on at this point. And she notices her coat and has no buttons. So she goes home, uh, back to the mission, and she gets buttons from Miss Alice's item, a button box, and sews them on. At the end of class, she hears Mountie laughing and giggling. She says, Mountie, what are you laughing about? And she bounces up to the teacher and says, Look, teacher, look at my buttons. Look at my pretty buttons. And Christy's like, what did you say? My buttons. And Christy's like, just sees the depths in her. And she knows that no cup of water ever goes, not returned. Then the other story is a more present one. I would have this one woman that come in my store um, every Saturday. She always came in, um, kind of in an oversized coat that would hang off, and she was kind of wearing the same dress and clogs. and she was a low speaker. I had a hard time hearing her. But she would come in, and we slowly developed a friendship, and our connection was cats. And then she opened up and told me that she was all alone, her parents had died, she wasn't married, she had a falling out with her brother, and in-and-out with um, her sister, so, um, and I out that she did go to church, she went to the bridge, but she hadn't been in ages, and so she doesn't go with it. So she called me one morning and said, could you take care of my cat? And I don't hear from her for about 10 days. And then she calls me and says, um, I have cancer um, in the brain and I don't have long to live. So I went to the hospital and I actually had to go in the room. Now this is in the height of COVID. Her sister was there and they let me in the room. And I remember I got to um, get on my knees and she was very agitated this time. And I took her hand and I said, "Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior?" And she shook her head. They then eventually put her in a hospice a hospital and I went to see her a couple more times. And each time she was more. That she died in November. So she was diagnosed the end of August and died in November. But what a blessing God gave me for such an unlikely friendship as that. By the way, I have her cat. <laughs> if you're wondering. <laughs> uh, causing to stumble. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. It would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes thrown into hell, where the worm that eats them does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's a large millstone, and again, uh, gives us the detail here. Uh, there were two kinds of millstones. There was a small millstone that was used by hand and a large that only an animal could um, pull. Uh, this was for grinding at the, now another little side note here, uh, the only person in the Bible to move a large millstone was Samson in the Bible. And um, also the Romans would use this as a form of execution to put a large millstone around somebody and throw them in the water. Uh, little ones refer to small children and new Christians, that if you are if they are led astray by wrong teaching, they will be severely punished for this. In Romans 14, 12 to 13, so then each of us will give an account for ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling blocks. Or obstacles in the way of a brother or sister.
1: Christians like to say they
0: are free to do what they they want. For freedom brings, if if your freedom brings another Christian down and causes them to stumble, then there could be serious consequences. Jesus gives strong warning against sin in our lives. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. The violent image of cutting off hands and feet and tearing eyes is shocking. Jesus is not encouraging us to mutilate our bodies. He is using this as an example of radical surgery to cut sin out of your life. In Leviticus 19:28, you shall not make any cuts on your body. The value of the kingdom of God, hand, foot, and eye, stand for the most precious of human possessions. Yet better to lose them in the kingdom of God, where the worm that eats them does not die, and the fire is not quenched. This comes from Isaiah 66:24. 24. This refers to Guyana, the smoldering rubbish dump of Jerusalem which was used as a picture of God's judgment on sin. Jesus spoke of hell to believers in warning, not to sinners in condemnation. Hell is real. Jesus is stating it as strongly as he can. There is heaven and there is hell. There is no third option, no door number three. Jesus is trying to convey the reality of hell. And I just want to share quickly my um, testimony. I grew up in a Christian home with like, uh, two very loving Christian parents. I went to church um, my whole life. I accepted Jesus when I was five. I accepted Jesus in Sunday school. I accepted Jesus in junior high. I accepted Jesus in senior high. And I went through a life of accepting Jesus. And then... Um, I went away to college, so I just couldn't wait to go. I mean, I want to get away from all of this. And I want to have fun and, um, you know, love fun important to get to grow up, right? But, um, you know, when some really hard partying would go on, I would panic and I would to go to hell, so I would accept Jesus into my heart. And this would just go on. Um, and I did twice. Uh, I was dating this guy, and his mother was a Christian, and my mother was a Christian. And his mother said, Listen, my glory is uh, speaking in Philadelphia. If you don't hear him, we'll pay for you to go anywhere you want to go eat for dinner. So we met on a Friday night. I remember being so angry, like, What am I doing here on a Friday night? And I can tell you today what his message was about. And when he asked for an altar call, it was like I could hear Jesus talking to me and saying, Gwen, what is your excuse? You have had so many times, so many excuses. This is it. And I stood up. And I remember the guy was Said, What are you doing? And I said, I'm sorry. i got to go forward. And he said, wait, I'm coming with you. <laughs> and um, you know what? That's the last time I accepted Jesus in my heart. Because I knew that my name was written in the Lamb's book. And I'm going to have it. salt with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Salt was a very valuable commodity in history and biblical times. It was worth the price of gold or silver. It was used to preserve a for meat. There was no refrigeration. Now, there were some scams going on back then, as there is today. Some people would take the salt and mix it with another ingredient and sell it, as salt, because it was so valuable. It would cause it to lose its saltiness, and it would not preserve the meat. So he is telling us not to mix with the world. He would be teaching the disciples to be pure of love and teaching, he ends by saying, "Have salt among yourselves, and be at peace with each other. Keep your focus on Him, and be at peace with one another. You can't be in the world, and you can't be both in the world and serving God. You cannot mix the two together. first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny